0: Amen. You guys can grab a seat. My name is Ernie. Welcome to Mercy Hill Church. We are ordinary people transformed by the mercy of God. That's how we see ourselves. And we're doing part two of a two-part series on worry. If you were here last week, we weren't because of the storm. But it's a bummer to be, you know, that was a bummer to have to cancel. But it's great to be here with you this Sunday. Go Bengals! all right i need to see even more gear out there okay all right if i got more spirit right now than i think most of you all in the room if you're a browns fan s- sorry i don't know what else to tell you i'm a little jittery this morning i've been solo parenting uh, all weekend my wife is with her uh yeah woo that's right solo parenting my, my wife is surprising her mom for her 70th birthday in louisiana And so I woke up with a little less energy this morning, had one of those Celsius drinks and didn't have any breakfast, and my stomach is not happy with me. And I'm like, what is going on? So if you see me shaking a little bit, that's what's going on. I got the Celsius in me, but we're hoping to get the Holy Spirit in us this morning. So that's what we're going to do. So anyways, the first week we talked about worry. We talked about, hey, the reasons why not to worry. We looked at Jesus' words and gave us a couple reasons not to worry, and he gave us something to do instead of worry which is to seek the kingdom of God and we talked a little bit about what that meant so we talked about you know why worry doesn't help us and this week we're gonna talk about what does it look like to seek the kingdom of God in a way that it replaces and removes worry from our life you know And, and that's and by the way removing worry and anxiety is like a complete industry in our country You know, I was looking up some stuff on the internet and how people were dealing. There's a lot of products out there. One of my favorite was the desk. It was the desk punching bag, okay? Could you imagine going into somebody's office... Like, students, you go into the dean's office, he has a desk punching bag right there drilled into his desk. You're like, that man has anger issues. You would immediately think that, I mean, it may help for a moment. He's like, good, 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 good. It's like, don't go in his office right now. He's, Ernie's mad. Don't go in there. There was also the body massage mat that was portable so you could bring it to work. When you feel moments of stress, you wrap yourself in it like a sleeping bag and you turn it on. It just gives you a full body massage. All right, that was a pretty cool thing. There's also a lot of advice online about how to deal with stress. One of my favorites was this. When you feel stressed, start belly breathing. You're like, what is that? So, well, this is how they described it. To practice belly breathing, sit comfortably and put one hand on your stomach and one on your chest and breathe slowly, deeply, so that the hand of your stomach would rise and not your chest. Could you imagine? You're just like talking to somebody, you see them sit on the ground, touch their stomach and chest, and sort of, It'd be, okay, it may work. I don't know. The other one was, was change your self-talk, you know, or, or live in the present. Just forget that there's even a future. I feel like there's some problems with that right there, <laughs> and these things may actually help you with worry, but the problem with these things is they only deal with the symptoms of worry in your life. See, this morning, I want to look at a passage that gives us a solution It doesn't just deal with the metaphysical or the biological issues that they may attach with worry, but it also deals with the soul level issue of worry. Because I don't know if you know this, you are more than just biology. I know our world loves to say that, like you're just a, a better ape or something. But God says that you have a soul, a spirit that lasts eternity. And some of the things, some of the issues we have are spiritual issues not just physical issues. And my hope is as we look at the word of God, we're gonna be in Philippians 4, That we would better see how seeking the kingdom of God. How do we do that in order to vanquish worry and anxiety from our life? How do we deal with the spiritual aspect of that? If you have a Bible, please, I encourage you to open it up to Philippians 4. If you don't, there's a Bible underneath your chair or your neighbor's chair. If you don't own one, that is our gift to you. Take it. We bought them in order that people would take them. And that they would have a Bible that they could read. Because I know that many of you, you're given a Bible by your parents. And it's in some version of English. English that hasn't been spoken in like 500 years, but for some reason, that one's the most holy one. Even though the Bible was written like, too, whatever. Well, different story for another day. But there is one right there for you. We'd love for you Philippians 4. All right, we're going to be in verses 4 through 9, but first let's pray. Jesus, we invite you into this moment to bring about transformation into our heart and life. We invite you into this space right here. That we would be changed we want to remove the things that are clogging our ears from hearing your voice we want to remove the things that are stopping the spirit of god from working in our life god you want us to be a people that are filled with your joy and your peace that is your desire and your heart for us god may we discover it this morning and walk in that direction Believing your words more than we believe the lies that say that is unattainable in our life. We love you, Jesus. We praise you for your glory. We want to be people filled with your joy and your peace. And we know it's by finding, seeking the kingdom. And show us that this morning. Amen. Okay, Philippians 4. Verse four starts out like this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The first thing that Paul tells us about how to seek the kingdom of God is through the discipline of rejoicing. Look at what he says. He says rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. That is a command not a request that god is in his word is commanding his people to rejoice in him it can sound pretty egotistical if you don't know who god is you know you imagine a ruler of a kingdom saying hey rejoice in me you'd be like no in fact we often don't rejoice in our leaders why because they're flawed and they're unworthy of rejoicing over But that is not how God is. And it is not egotistical for him to to say such things. In fact, this isn't the only place he says it. If you look in Scripture, 233 times in the Bible, God commands his people to rejoice in him. You know what's amazing about that? Is that we follow a God that demands that we are joyful people. He insists upon his people being filled with joy. Guys, many of you that are Christians right now, you think joy is only in the future after you die. But God wants to bring joy into your life right now, right here, in this moment, regardless of the circumstance. That's what he desires. And he makes himself responsible for bringing about the joy in your life. He says rejoice in what? Rejoice in your new job, your new car, your new thing. He says, no, rejoice in me. And only God can say such a thing because only God is awesome and good enough for us to find joy only in him. See, see, guys, joy is a tricky word in the English language. Because we use it interchangeably sometimes with happiness. And they're not the same thing. Happiness has to do with happenings. Let me explain it to you this way: How much happier were you yesterday when it was fifty-five degrees and sunny, and you're roaming through the town? It's awesome, right? How'd you feel when you looked out the window this when you looked out your window this morning? You're like, "Oh, it's gloomy and gray." Yay! <laughs> Happiness comes and goes with circumstance. It comes and goes with what's happening in your life. But joy is deeper than that. Joy supersedes, it supersedes circumstance because it's rooted in something greater and deeper than momentary circumstance. It's rooted in something. But not just momentary circumstance, it's rooted in the reality, especially the joy that I'm talking about in Jesus, is rooted in the reality of our identity and relationship and future and past and present in Christ. It's rooted in a future promise that we experience today. See, we can rejoice in whatever circumstance because of the hope that God has given us. That, that's why God tells us to rejoice always in him, because we always have something to rejoice over. The reason why, Christian, we don't rejoice is many of us have bad math. A hundred good things plus one bad thing always equals one bad thing. But we have so many good things from God. We have so many great promises. I'm just going to read through a few of these things that we found in Scripture that, Christian, you should store away in your heart in moments of discouragement and worry and go, no, 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 there is plenty for me to be joyful about. Here's something. Uh, we have the promise of eternal life. In 1 John 2.25, it says this, and this is the promise that he, had made, he has made us to us eternal life. We have the promise of being a part of the family of God. In Galatians, it says, And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You are no longer slaves, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We have the promise that I am loved by God. Look at 1 John. We love him because he first loved us. We have the promise that I am free from condemnation. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have the promise that God will give us strength. Look at Philippians. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We have the promise that he will never leave or forsake us. Look at Hebrews. For he said, he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can be confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Does God not have such a great past in keeping his words, church? Does he not have such a great presence for us to live in? Does he not have such a great future before us? Do we not have an amazing God that provides for us, that has given us all that we need for life and godliness? We have so much to rejoice over and to celebrate. If we're honest with ourselves, guys, much of the worry that reigns in our life, much of the anxiety that reigns in our life is due to our perspective being too small. I took my kids to the beach a couple years ago, and I remember my daughter just throwing this humongous temper tantrum because she didn't have her certain Barbie there. She couldn't even play with it, by the way. It's, we're, we're on a beach. And there's all this other stuff we placed before her. I'm like, look at the ocean. Look, look at all these other kids. Play with these children. You know, look, let's dig a sandcastle. And she was all wrapped up in this thing that she actually would not let her bring to the beach because it's like, you know, it had like the batteries and all that kind of stuff like that. But sometimes, guys, can't we just be like that, like a child? That God has given us so much, and we fixate on the one thing that we want, even though it's not even that helpful to us. And it brings about worry, and it's insignificant. You know what's the amazing thing about God? Is when he finds us in those situations we're worried about this little thing, he doesn't scorn us. He doesn't belittle us. He doesn't go after us. He doesn't do any of those things. He just tells us to lift our eyes to him and find true perspective, something that lasts 10,000 years, not 10 minutes, not 10 years, and to find joy in something greater and bigger than the stuff we find in this world. But Ernie, what about the times when things are actually bad? Like when there's real suffering and extreme difficulty, like when we hear words like cancer or divorce or we even lose a home. These moments can lead us to the pit of despair, and it could take, take us to a place filled with fear and anxiety and anger and worry. But even in those moments, God tells us joy can overcome them, that his joy can overcome them, that he could redeem them, that that we can experience joy with tears in the midst of great loss. Peter tells his audience to do the very same thing in 1 Peter 5. He says, cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Guys, y'all realize that? The God of the universe cares for you. He's not okay with what happened. He weeps with you. The shortest verse in all of Scripture is He wept, Jesus wept. In which He shows up to a grave where He knows He's going to resurrect someone, and He weeps with the women who are grieving over that dead person. Jesus weeps with you. Peter said, Be sober minded, be watchful. This is not the same, by the way, of worry. Being sober minded and watchful, that's wise. There's a difference between having cold sweats at the beach because there is a riptide and knowing that there's a riptide and watching your kids in the water. There's a difference. He says, be sober-minded and watch why. Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering we are experiencing by your brotherhood throughout the world, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That doesn't say pull yourself up. your own bootstraps that says fall on the grace and mercy of god who will restore confirm strengthen and establish you guys even in those moments that are filled with tears he will show up and he will pick up our downcast face and he will grab our drooping shoulders and breathe joy into our life i know this because i've experienced it myself five years ago one of the most devastating experiences was we were pregnant and when my wife went in to hear the baby's heartbeat for the first time there wasn't one wept so hard but in the midst of that i remembered god drawing laura and i closer as we turned to the lord And we begin to recount all of the things that, and all of the ways that he's blessed us and been faithful to us. And though we wept, and we wept a lot, I remembered his love was expressed through the community around me of believers that came in and helped us bear the burden of a lost child. See, in moments like that, you need more than a desk punching bag. You need the presence of your creator. You need a picture of a future. And that is what God gives us. It's a picture of something that is laying before us that can bring joy and peace even today. He's even written it in a book, guys. Like if you go to Revelation 21, God tells you how the story ends. And this is how it ends. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's the future. I know one day when I'm in the presence of my God, I will see my child that I've never met. And it will be a world of justice and peace. Not in this broken one. That's something a desk punching bag can't do. That's something belly breathing can't bring about. But the presence and knowledge of the Lord can. So I need to practice the discipline of rejoicing in God. And it's going to take a long time, by the way. It takes time. Paul says here's another way that we can seek the kingdom of God. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God will surpass all understanding and will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. How do we seek the kingdom of God? Through prayer. He uses three words to entail how we should pray. He says, instead of worry, he says, pray. And he uses words like petition and thanksgiving and request. All of these words are just, they, like petition just means to refer to a request for a particular benefit. Thanksgiving means to be grateful before God. To give a request is to ask something of God. In a sense, what Paul's saying is this, pray a lot. In fact, he even says, he says, pray in everything. Why? because prayer replaces worry in a Christian's life it's not enough to just remove worry something has to fill the space and for a believer prayer is what needs to go there prayer should replace worry in our lives because it does what worry cannot do you understand what worry does what does it bring more worry into your life but what does prayer do it invites the God of the universe into that situation It invites God to take action in your life at that moment. And what the Word of God tells you about prayer in your life is the result is what? Peace. Who doesn't want that? I'll take that by the boatload. Peace, guys, is the actual experiential feeling of God's presence. It's not saying that peace, that is making peace between us with God, is made through prayer. But when we pray, God gives us peace of mind. He gives us peace for our soul, and he removes the worry and puts in its place peace. And it's the kind of peace, what kind of peace, that surpasses all understanding. That there would be moments that it would seem impossible to have peace in. That there would be moments so dark, the idea of even hope seems ridiculous. And yet in those moments, God's peace is not overcome by worry or circumstance, but it triumphs over it in your life and in your heart. That man would look at you and not have a category for how is this person experiencing this peace right now? How is that even possible? I wanna tell you a story of how I've seen this in somebody's life. When me and Laura, before we got married, we got married in April, April 10th, okay? Before we got married, 2010, so I know the date, all right, you could tell Laura, I remember it, she knows that I know it, but before we got married, uh, well, before we got married, we went to counseling, and our pastor actually sent us to a special counselor, because three weeks after we got married, we led a team of 20 students on a mission trip for seven weeks in Eastern Europe, and they were like, hey, it's probably not the best thing for you to do, but we need you to do it, so... We're going to send you to this particular counselor named Bill, and he, he, he works with missionaries, and he's, he's amazing. Anyways, we met with him. Uh, we had five meetings with him, uh, uh, between, it was, and it was amazing. Like, we still use a lot of those things, too, today. But uh, in between our fourth and fifth meeting, we never got to our fifth meeting because Bill uh, had a surprise heart attack and passed away, and he was young. In fact, before he died, the week before he died, he just spent the weekend taking his oldest daughter to go look at universities because in two years she was going to go off to college. And so we show up to this funeral, me and my wife, his funeral, and there's the the reception line to meet his wife, who we've never met, and we're standing in line. And I'm just thinking, what am I going to say to minister this woman. I mean, like, how can I encourage her? Like, could you imagine the grief? She's got three daughters. They're all in high school or junior high. Her husband of 20 years of marriage has passed away unexpectedly. Like all the financial burden and everything else is just falling on her shoulders. at This moment, like I couldn't imagine the level of pressure. I couldn't imagine the level of grief. I couldn't imagine how difficult that would be in that moment. What kind of grief she must have been experiencing. And they had a loving marriage. And as we got closer, you know, people were kind of taking their time talking to her. And we figured out why. Because instead of us encouraging her, she ended up encouraging us. I remember looking at her. I think the only words I got, out was like, hey, we met with Bill for counseling. He's helped us so much. We're not even married yet. And she just started counseling us at that moment about our upcoming marriage. And this woman, yes, she had grief, but she was filled with the joy of the Lord. I'm like, That's different. That's absolutely different. She has peace and joy, and probably one of the worst circumstances I could imagine. I'm like, where does that come from? She's at her husband's funeral. She's standing 10 feet away from his body, and she's encouraging us. She's got tears in her eyes, but she's filled with the joy of the Lord. My friends, it is possible. Regardless of your disposition, God is greater than it. Regardless of your circumstance, God is greater than it. In fact, when we pray, it says, at that moment, God's peace will guard our hearts and our minds. You see that? The word guard is a military term. It implies that peace stands on duty to keep out anything that brings fear or anxiety. That's an incredible promise that we should take advantage of, that the darkest moments, we should cling to the word of God and trust his instruction to bring about peace in our life. Church, I find there's a direct link between my prayer life and the amount of worry that fills my life. That when I am on my knees and I am bending my will to God and regularly communicating with him, those things There is less worry in my life, and God's peace reigns more prominent in my life. There's two warnings I want to give about this, even before we get to the third thing that that Paul's going to say. The first one is, this is not easy. It's not just like take a shot and then leave the doctor's office and you're all better. In those moments that are difficult, you're going to have to fight for peace in your prayer life it's not this neat little Instagram photo of it either where you're just like the peace of God or like those photos they show everybody like from the 1500s, but all like this or whatever that is. A lot of times what fighting for peace looks like in my life as a father of three, and there's a lot to be concerned and worried about, but it looks like sometimes it's me cutting wood in the backyard. It looks like me walking up and down the street praying. It looks like me listening to music. There are moments of brokenness. There are moments of honesty and and there are moments of openness. And they can be filled with yelling and tears and full of emotion. Being honest before God in my prayers. But recognizing at the end, God, you got to bring this about because I can't. Second, it won't be quick. I heard a pastor tell a story about Daniel. If you don't know who Daniel was in the Bible, he was a man that was deeply devoted to God and loved God. And the king he served, which wasn't in Israel, was a king that fancied himself a God and commanded people to worship him as God. And Daniel would not do that. So as the story goes, the king put Daniel in a pit of lions to be torn apart. But what Scripture tells us is that God closed the mouth of those lions. See, Daniel, guys, sought the heart of God three times a day. His strength was not found in the battle, but it was found in his prayer closet. Why is it, guys, that so many of us worry dictates our life instead of the peace of God? It's because Daniel prayed consistently where we pray occasionally. And it's not what we do occasionally that makes the difference. It's what we do consistently that makes the difference. There are no quick fixes to maturity in Christ. Anything that grows quickly often doesn't live long. If you plant an oak tree today, all right, and plant some seeds for like weeds or something like that, the weeds are going to shoot up, but they're going to be dead in a season. It may take five years for that oak tree to outgrow those weeds, but that oak tree will be greater and stronger than those weeds ever could be and will live longer. Be an oak tree, not a weed, not something that just shoots up. You will not, if if you're like, Ernie, I prayed, and I'm still worried about it. I'm like, great. Did you read the part where he says, pray in everything? Pray always? It's not just this potion or whatever, this this nuance or something we just say and it just brings about. It's not a spell. It's about fostering the perspective of God in your life. Because the more time you spend with God, the more he rubs off on you. And the more you begin to change and the more you begin to see things differently. Here's the last thing that Paul tells us. Verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of all peace will be with you. Mercy old Church, he just said this, we seek the kingdom by renewing Our lives. In verse 8, he says, hey, think about these things. Another way of thinking about it is like meditate on these things. We kind of weird with that word meditate because what you see on TV when somebody's meditating, they're like, um, that is not what the Bible talks about with meditation. Another way of putting it, in fact, if you have like the CSB or the NIV, it it says dwell on these things. I like that. It's like pitch your tent on these things and live there. Let them be your home base for your mind. Concentrate on them. To meditate, to dwell on these things, means to set them at the front of your mind, of your life. Because the things you set on your mind, your life will begin to migrate to those things. Whatever you occupy your head with, Your body will begin to move in that direction. And the things, look at the things that Paul tells us to set our mind on. Set whatever is true, meaning valid, honest, or reliable. Means, Christian, stop setting your mind on lies, stop occupying your mind with things that aren't true. Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure. Honorable means worthy of respect. Right refers to what is just and upright. Pure denotes cleanliness or or connotes moral purity. Lovely means admirable or agreeable or pleasing. I want to walk towards those things. And if I'm going to walk towards those things, I need to set my mind. I need to occupy my mind with things that are true, that are honorable, not dishonorable, that are right and pure and lovely. I need to permeate my life with that kind of stuff. Think about how much time, guys, just be honest with ourselves. I'm just going to be honest with you. So much of my time is spent not meditating on these kind of things. How much of your, your mind space do you give to lies, to insecurities, to fantasies, to things that are not pure or honorable? You will begin to drift in that direction. Paul is telling us, no, 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 drift towards the Lord by setting your mind in that direction. And as you meditate on these things, it'll lead you to those actions. What the mind thinks, the body moves. That when you set your mind on these things, God, it, it, God says, hey, it's going to lead you to those things. That's what he says in verse 9. Look at verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. You notice what Paul said? You notice what he didn't say? He didn't say just remember remember these things. He didn't say just quote these things. He said put them into practice because what you think about will become part of your practice. What you dwell on will become part of your practice. You want peace? Put it into action in your life. He has given us clear instructions and the means to live peaceful and joyful lives, how strange it would be for us not to walk in these things. How odd is it for us and unnatural for us as Christians to not walk in these things? Could you imagine if the Bengals coach gave this great game plan to beat the Chiefs today, but the team didn't follow the plan? What would you say about that team? You would say that team is not bought in to what the coach is saying. The team is not believing what the coach is saying is how to win. Can't we say the same thing about us? That God has said, hey, this is the way to joy and peace. Live in this rhythm and this way. And so much like, actually, I think it's over here in this thing. I think if I had a better job, I'd have peace. I think if I had a spouse, I'd have peace. I think if I had, if you just say I had in it, it's probably not the right thing. Whatever that thing is, if it's anything outside of God, it's not going to bring about peace in your life. And it's going to take some time. I mean, just think back to the Bengals. How many hours do you think they spent trying to execute that plan? For many of them, They have been been working on their craft since they were 10 years old to be a good left tackle or a good receiver or quarterback or whatever. It's a lifetime. It's not what we do occasionally. It's what we do consistently that brings about transformation in our life. These are promises for believers. Now, let me just pull over for a second because i got to say this. My friends... Before you can have the joy and peace of God, you have to have peace with God. Some of you in this room, you think the way to peace with God is by being a very moral good person that goes to church, that your goods will outweigh your bads. And you're hoping that if you can go to church enough or be moral enough that somehow God will look at you and put you on this scale and said, you've done more good than bad. Yeah, come on in. You can, we can be in a relationship. I got some news for you. You got to understand. You can't do enough. Because what the Bible tells us in Romans 3 is that we've all sinned. And what it tells us in 623 is that the wages of sin is death. And why is sin death? Why is lying? Because it's a rebellion against God. And all, all, and those who rebel against their country, what are they called? Traitors. And a penalty for being a traitor is death. And you've earned it because you haven't just sinned once. There are things that you've done you don't want anybody to know about, but God does. And those things have caused a gap between you and God that you cannot fix on your own. But here's the good news, that God did something about it on your behalf. That he sent his son to live the life you are meant to live, sinless and perfect. And then while he was on the cross, all of humanity's sin was placed on his shoulder. And God punished sin in the person of Jesus. So that now, by believing in Jesus, believing in who he is, you would receive Jesus' righteousness as if you lived that life. Because he's already been punished as if he lived your life. See, what the Bible tells us in Romans 10, 9, 10, it says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confessed is saved. God is not asking you to have an intellectual agreement with him. There's a lot of people in school and on census that check the word Christian and they have no idea what that means. I don't care if your parents are Christian. I don't care if you have gone to church for a hundred years. What makes you a Christian is when you've been transformed by the work of God, that you have a heart belief in who Jesus was and that you're going to heaven only because of what Jesus has done. And that heart belief has led to a mouse confession. He's not looking for empty words. He's looking for true believers. So the things that we talked about today, if you are not in peace with God, you can't have the peace and joy of God because you have to be in a relationship with him first. If this is finally making sense to you at this moment, all you have to do is confess in your mouth what you believe in your heart. Yes, Lord, I've sinned. Yes, God, I believe that Jesus was the son of God and that he died for my sins and I can have life in his name. All you have to do is just confess that with your mouth what you believe in your heart. And if you do that this morning, I want to talk to you or if you have questions about what that looks like, I want to talk to you after service. Because, man, I got a great thing for you. But, Christian, this is yours now. Begin walking in the peace of God because your life is filled with prayers to God. Begin the discipline of rejoicing. Maybe it looks like, guys, you got really bad math. You just need to write down all the things that God has given you, all the blessings that you have, and just put it in front of your face every day. I'm not saying to ignore the hard things in your life. I'm not saying that you look at it and go, well, this isn't bad. No, those things are bad, and they are tough. But it's also like, man, God, but you are good, and I trust you, and I'm not going to give in to worry today. I'm going to cling to your promises. Maybe instead of just like writing things down and becoming a really busybody, it's just, man, I'm just going to build into prayer in my life. I'm going to turn the radio off as I drive, and instead of listening to music, I'm going to pray. For all those hours, I'm in the car. Maybe it's filling the Word of God in your heart and mind that you begin to meditate, maybe on one verse a week, that you meditate on what is good, true, right, and lovely instead of whatever show you're watching that moment. And I know, guys, I know some of you out there are like, I can't remember things. Listen, uh, I used to say that. I can remember almost every line from the office randomly. <laughs> you can remember eight to nine words in a sentence if you meditate on it, if you think about it. Start today. Tomorrow's too far. Right now, what is the step? What is the thing? Where are you going to grow your prayer life? What are you going to meditate on? Where are you going to set a discipline of rejoicing in your life? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you are the kind of God that gives us everything we need. And Lord, you're the kind of God that even in our, midst, like our huge failures of doing this and living this life, you don't cast this aside. you give mercy and grace. Lord, I pray that no one would be experiencing condemnation in this moment. that like, "Oh, I'm a, piece, I'm a crap, I, I'm a mess. I can't do it, I haven't done it. I, I, that all that talk would just leave. And they would begin to meditate on the things that you've said they are that they are sons and daughters of the king, that they are loved, that they are blessed, that they are cared for, that you wouldn't allow the enemy to take this word and get it a degree off and hurt people in this room. But God, I pray that you would fill their hearts with joy because of what they've seen you do. And what you promised you're going to do. And that you're a guy that keeps your promises. Lord, I pray that there would be a people that drink deeply of you as they speak to you. Because God, we believe in rubbing shoulders with you. You rub off on us. We don't rub off on you. You transform and change us. God, I pray that, we would, that the things that would occupy our mind would be the word of God and the truth of God. And not all this other nonsense that fills it. It's all going to pass away anyways. But your kingdom will be here forever. And we will be with you forever. Lord, broaden our perspective. God, I want so badly for the men and this women in this room to experience the peace and joy. May we believe your words this morning that not only is it possible, but it's probable regardless of our circumstance because you're that kind of God. You're able and you are capable and you love us and you care about us and you've commanded us to be full of joy and peace. So may we be characterized by those things. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. Amen.